What is good, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. We are continuing on. I believe it's part three of The Woman at the Well. We uh, we probably have like two or three more parts. This is a, a fairly long story, and so I want to do it justice and make sure that we're breaking these things down piece by piece. Um, we're going to hop into this. You know, we ended off last episode breaking down the prophetic statement that Jesus makes towards the Samaritan woman. He talks about her many past husbands and brings up the fact that the man she is with now is not her husband. And this statement from Jesus is very important and has multiple meanings. There is, of course, the surface level meaning of the woman's actions and her history. But the woman being a representation of the Samaritan people as a whole, she mirrors the failures and adultery that the Samaritans had against God. We looked at most multiple passages in Hosea where the Samaritans worshipped other gods and how God saw that worshipping of false gods as adultery against the covenant made between himself and his people. So when Jesus mentions the woman's husband's in his native language in Aramaic, it would have been said, husbands being Baals. That's the word that Jesus would have used, which is interesting because Baal is the same name of the false god that the Samaritans worshipped, as we're told in Hosea. Now, when he mentions her husbands, when he mentions her Baals, it is a question for the woman and the Samaritan people that she represents. But after Jesus reveals his knowledge of her life, she quickly understands that he is a prophet, that this knowledge that he has about her life cannot be attained without the power of God at his side. So we're going to continue on with the rest of this interaction. Um, real quick announcement, next week will be our Christmas episode that we do every year. Um, I'm going to be re-uploading the Is Christmas and Christmas Trees Pagan episode because surprisingly, uh, m- my wife has filled me in on this because she's follows more people on social media than I do, but she's seeing a lot of people claiming that Christmas trees are pagan. And uh, it's not the case if you would have listened to last year's episode. So I'm going to re-upload that next week um, going into the Christmas upcoming week. And uh, we're, we're going to just continue to fight against these uh, these false claims and, and help inform people as much as we can. But let's hop into this. We're getting into the rest of this interaction between the woman at the well and Jesus. And so we're going to be going through verse 20 all the way down to verse 26. And she says this, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you 
am he. All right, like we always do, we're going to break this down verse by verse. Once again, in verse 20, she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So the the Samaritan woman recognizes that Jesus is a prophet, which for a Samaritan is a big deal. As we've already discussed in the previous episode, the Samaritans did not believe that the prophetic writings that we have in our Old Testament and that the Jews had in their Hebrew Bible, the Samaritans did not believe that those prophetic writings were holy books. They only kept to the Torah. They rejected everything else. So for the Samaritans, they were looking for a prophet like Moses that was prophesied by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. And this woman has come in contact with who she now believes is this expected prophet. And for her, this would be a huge deal. If you remember a few verses back, when Jesus said, when Jesus and the woman first interact, she questions him. When he asks her for water, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Now, she is questioning the places of worship. This is what she's questioning next. But with this question, uh, the, the same as the question that she asked when she first met Jesus, his answer is going to quell any hesitation or skepticism that she may have. Now, her question is interesting because she is met with the undeniable conclusion that Jesus is a prophet. I mean, he just told her something about her life that he would have no way of knowing. So from her point of view, clearly this dude is from God. But it seems that she still has hesitation because she goes, clearly you are sent from God. Like, I'm pretty sure you are the prophet that Moses talked about, but there's a problem. We as Samaritans, like we worship on this mountain, but you being a Jew, you disagree with that. And you say that the Jerusalem temple is the place where worship should take place. This is where the conflict is happening in her heart. What are you to do when your traditions and beliefs crash into God and his truth? Because this is exactly what is happening in her heart right now. Her entire life, her belief has been that the Jews are misguided and that it's the Samaritans who have the holy books. And it's the Samaritans who have the true place of worship. But now, before her stands Jesus, a Jew, who is proving himself to be sent from God. And everything he is and everything he stands for is a direct contradiction to her previously held beliefs. Now, as the reader, we know that her understanding of the proper place of worship is incorrect. She assumes that Jesus believes the proper place of worship is at the temple in Jerusalem. But she doesn't know yet that Jesus is God, who should be worshipped. She does not know yet that Jesus cleansed the temple already and declared that the true temple is actually his body. She doesn't know all of these things yet. But as the reader We've already read this in the previous chapters of John's gospel. So look at how Jesus responds in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So Jesus begins to inform the woman of what it is that he has already revealed in previous chapters. This is the first time that Father is used to talk about God in this dialogue, and it's done for a reason. You know, the implication of the woman's earlier statement about places of worship is that we are not worshiping the same God, or at the very least, that you think you are worshiping God, but you are not since the place where you go is not proper. And Jesus' statement not only destroys that implication and conflict between the Jews and Samaritans, but it also tells them both that they're wrong. The Samaritans don't have the right place of worship, and the Jews are no longer going to have the right place of worship either. That on this mountain where the Samaritans worship, and in Jerusalem where the Jews worship, neither will be the place where worship occurs. That's the statement that Jesus is making. Everything is changing right now. So why was the Father used here? Well, it's used to make it clear that the Father is Lord over all, not just the certain religious sects of the Jews and the Samaritans who may worship. Father is used to show that God is not God in how others may understand him, but that the Father is God as Jesus revealed him. You know, remember back to chapter 1 of John's Gospel. We are told that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father. Jesus is the one who reveals the true nature of the Father. Back in John chapter 1 and verse 17, we're told that the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, that no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus is the one who makes the Father known. Jesus is the one who reveals the true nature of the Father and since the true nature of God and how he should be worshipped is made known specifically from Jesus, he is able to say what he says next to the woman in verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. The woman and the rest of the Samaritans worship a God they do not know since they rejected the Jewish prophetic books of the Old Testament. Their knowledge of God and the fullness of proper worship is incomplete. Their ability to know about the coming Messiah, their ability to know that the Lord that comes from the the shoot of Jesse, the Lord that comes from the line of David, is actually David's God. They didn't have Psalm 110, where David says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. They didn't have these prophetic writings. They, they, they believed that they were false. So they had no indication that from David, from the line of David, there would be one born who David himself calls Lord. They had no indication of these things. So 
their knowledge of God and the fullness of proper worship is incomplete. And Jesus makes it clear that salvation is from the Jews. True Judaism that looked forward to a coming Messiah who would bring salvation. That is the salvation that comes from the Jews. You know, it's passages that we see, like in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, in verses 6 through 7, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. They didn't, they didn't have passages like this that clearly say that there will be a child that is born to Israel on the throne of David, from the line of David. And this child's name will be called Mighty God. This child's name will be called Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. The Jews had this, though. And, and for the Jews who actually followed the, the true message of Judaism and what was prophesied and taught, they, they saw this fulfilled in Jesus. They didn't have passages like Zechariah 9.9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous in having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. They didn't have passages like Zechariah that foretold of a coming Messiah who would bring salvation. They didn't have these things. The Jews had this text, though. Now, look, don't get me wrong. Although many Jews misunderstood and rejected Jesus and his title as Messiah, although there were still many Jews who are looking at these passages and going, uh, nope, they actually don't mean what they mean. They, they must mean something else. And to this day, <laughs> many Jews will look at these passages and completely misapply and misunderstand them. Even though that was the case, there were still Jews who understood exactly what was happening. Obviously, his disciples, who were Jews, who grew up reading these texts, recognized that Jesus is the hope for Messiah, who would bring salvation and be called Mighty God and Prince of Peace. We even hear of, of other instances of Jews who fully understood who Jesus was and what he was coming to do. Uh, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32, this is a beautiful passage that, that really helps us understand that there were Jews that saw Jesus and recognized that he is fulfilling their scriptures. Look at this, Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before he had seen the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him 
uh, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. End quote. So look, I point all of this out to show that although many Jews rejected Jesus, there were still some that recognized who Jesus was. They had a proper understanding of the Hebrew Bible, and they, they were able to immediately see that Jesus fulfills what their scriptures proclaimed. And when Jesus says that salvation is from the Jews, he's 100% correct. Jesus, the bringer of salvation, is Jewish. And this is yet another statement that is made by Jesus, which challenges the Samaritan woman in her previous beliefs about the Jews being the ones who were false and held to false beliefs. Now look at what Jesus says next in verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know, what, what's great about Jesus and what he says here is that he doesn't just tell her she is wrong and then leave her to wonder how true worship can be attained. In, in, in making the Father known, he fills her in on what true and proper worship looks like. It's not done on a particular mountain, and it's not done in a particular temple. True worship of the true God is done in spirit and truth. This is how Jesus defines true worshipers. And these true worshipers are the ones that God the Father seeks. Now, this declaration is not one of foretelling of, of an event, you know, way off in the future. Jesus makes it clear that this is happening right now. That the Father is seeking those who will properly worship Him in spirit and in truth right now. And why is this? Why does this worship have to be done in spirit and in truth? Why is a mountain or a temple not sufficient? Well, in verse 24, Jesus explains. The reason why is because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The reason why we must worship in spirit and truth is because God is spirit and God is truth. His very nature and essence is spirit. Therefore, there is no need to limit a place of worship to a physical location. We've already seen God's spirit at work in the Gospel of John. Back in chapter 1, Remember back in John chapter 1, we, we noted how there is so many callbacks and tie-ins to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, we're told that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Or we can look at when Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God descend from heaven like a dove and rest on Jesus. And then in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he makes a clear distinction in what it means to be born again. Back in John chapter 3 verse 6, Jesus says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So what does this mean? This means that in order to worship God in spirit and truth, we must first be born again in the Spirit. 
and thus worship God in the way he desires. And this here is so interesting to me, because we have yet another exclusivity claim being made by Jesus. You know, you'll hear people all the time claim that all religions, like, you know, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, they they worship the same God, right? They worship the same God. The God is the same. They, They worship the same. But, you know, there may be some distinctions, but at the end of the day, it's the same God. And that could not be farther from the truth. Islam, for instance, has requirements for worship. Islam claims that Jesus was not God and that he was not crucified and that God cannot be a father in any sense. But Jesus makes it very clear that the requirements for worshiping God require that you recognize him as father, which is denied in Islam and in other religions requires that you worship him in spirit and truth, which requires that you are born again of the spirit, which is denied in other religions. The Bible is very clear about these claims. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was crucified. And historical scholars agree. (laughs) And scripture refers to God as father countless times. The bottom line is this, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, etc., We are not worshiping the same God. Jesus is very clear who God is and how he should be worshiped. And he's making it clear to the Samaritan woman because Jesus understands that they do not believe in the same God. The Samaritans do not worship the same God that the Jews worship. And because he is seeking to bring her and the Samaritan people to truth, he brings clarity to their false understandings. On to verse 25 through 26, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the woman's response still seems to be unsure. She doesn't yet recognize who exactly is in front of her. She has an understanding of a coming Messiah, and she may even be struggling with what she is hearing because she says, we know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Maybe to imply that she's hoping for someone to be able to rebuttal what Jesus is saying. I'm not insinuating that she's being stubborn. I think this response is completely expected. You know, I've had plenty of conversations uh, with, with atheists and, and Muslims and uh, even, you know, Christians who have uh, differing views on the Bible or the nature of God and things like that. And any time evidence is presented that goes against someone's beliefs, whether it's on their side or mine, and you don't know how to answer it, it seems like it, it might be correct. But if it's correct, then that means that what you have held to be true would be incorrect. And what every person does, every single time, myself or others, when I present evidence to them that that they don't know how to rebuttal, is you kind of just assume like, oh, I'm going to go speak to somebody who is more knowledgeable than me, and they'll go ahead and give me the answer I need to this, and they'll be able to refute you. They'll be able to fill me in on the things I need to know to, uh, you know, help me understand that what I already believe is true. 
And that seems to kind of be her response here, right? Jesus is laying out all of these things that completely go against her beliefs. And she says to him, well, you know, the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he'll tell us all things. Clearly, she doesn't think in this moment that Jesus is that Messiah. The problem is, she doesn't realize the Messiah that she's hoping for is right in front of her. And Jesus says, uh, hey, (laughs) that Messiah that you're waiting for, that is going to give you all the truth that you're looking for, I'm that Messiah. I've been giving you that truth this whole time. It's only up to you now to recognize that that's the case. And as we'll see in the next part, in a future episode, the woman starts to realize that this, this guy, this guy might actually be the Messiah. 